0: Welcome to Clippings, the official podcast of the Council for Nail Disorders, where Drs. April Schachtel and Catherine Stiff take a closer look at articles and clippings published on all things nail disease. Listeners can suggest articles for this podcast or topics of discussion by sending an email to kristin.cnd at
1: gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Hello. Welcome to episode 25 of the Blippings podcast. We're reviewing nail papers and presenting them to you. I'm April Schachtel, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Catherine Stiff. Hey, April. So my article today is Risk of Recurrence of Nail Unit Melanoma After Functional Surgery Versus Amputation. It comes from Drs. Byung Oh and co-authors out of Seoul and Wonju in South Korea, and it's accepted and online ahead of print in the Journal of American Academy of Dermatology. Background is that amputation was long considered the standard treatment for all nail unit melanoma, but more recently, functional surgery, which preserves the distal phalanx, has been performed more and more often, especially for melanoma in situ or minimally invasive nail unit melanoma. Functional surgery has shown good outcomes when negative margins are obtained, and of course, it is of a huge benefit to patients to be able to maintain the functional status of their full finger question is, what is the definition of minimally invasive and what should be offered as a recommendation for a guideline for cutoff for functional surgery versus amputation? The authors state that a Breslow depth of 0.5 millimeters has been used by some, but has not been statistically quantified. This study included 140 patients with nail unit melanoma, and all surgeries were done by two dermatology surgeons at the Dermatology Department of Severance Hospital in Seoul, South Korea. In their protocol, if pre-op MRI or skin biopsy showed bone invasion, then an amputation was performed. For all other patients, regardless of Breslow thickness, functional surgery was performed with consent. In functional surgery, the entire nail unit, including at least three to four millimeters away from the nail matrix and plate, was excised. The deep margin of the specimen was contact with bone, and then periosteum was included when possible. Specimens were sectioned longitudinally, and the sections were looked at using a variety of melanocyte markers. If the margins were positive, then patients went on to have an amputation after their functional surgery. So this group performed a retrospective study of these patients to compare the incidence of recurrence and distant disease with amputation versus functional surgery. Their goal was to identify an optimal Breslow thickness cutoff to determine when functional surgery should be recommended. Ultimately, 107 patients had functional surgery and 33 had an amputation. Mean Breslow thickness of amputation group was 3.1 and 0.7 for the functional surgery group. No big surprise that the group that was already known to have bony invasion either before or after surgery had worse Breslow thickness. Patients in the amputation group were more likely to be older, had higher rates of volar involvement, total nail involvement, Hutchinson sign, ulcers, and nodules than those in the functional surgery group. No big surprise there. Patients in both groups were followed for almost four years on average, and ultimately 30% of the amputation group had a recurrence compared to 21% of the functional surgery group. Distant disease was reported in the same number, 30% of patients in the amputation group compared to only 7.5% in the functional surgery group. The factors that were associated with recurrence were higher Breslow thickness, higher T-stage, amyelonautic color, and ulcers, whereas the factors that were associated with distant disease were similar, male sex, greater Breslow thickness, higher T-stage, ulcers, and nodules. The group then looked at a subset of 89 patients for whom they had information about either more than three years of clinical follow-up or recurrence or distant disease. They then analyzed various cutoff points using ROC curves and performance metrics, and they identified 0.8 millimeters as a cutoff value in which the risk of recurrence was stratified with the greatest Uden index and still had a negative predictive value of 88%. So the UDIN index is a statistic I had to review, and that is a number that captures the performance of a dichotomous, so yes or no diagnostic test. They also found that the cutoff of 0.8 millimeters was optimal to stratify for the risk of distant disease. The study was limited by its retrospective nature and modest sample size, as well as the fact that only two surgeons were involved. However, the authors present evidence to provide a specific guideline to help for decision-making with nail unit melanoma. So functional surgery can be considered a strong recommendation for all nail unit melanomas with a Breslow depth of less than 0.8 millimeters, and this paper can also help guide a discussion for thicker melanomas good when our decision-making can be guided by data as much as possible, and this can help with that. But no guideline is perfect, and a fully informed consent would have to include the fact that there will be some recurrences with functional surgery, as well as if all melanomas above a Breslow thickness of 0.8 have an amputation, then there will be some amputations done that weren't necessary. Also, if a patient has risk factors for recurrence or distant disease like higher T-stage, amelanotic color, ulcer, male sex, or nodules, then those should be factored into additional counseling to help determine the best surgical approach for each patient.
0: Yeah, I thought this was a a well-done article and brings up some great points. And like you said, it's ultimately all about an informed discussion with the patient. And I, I think it's great to attempt nail conservation and, uh, digits bearing surgery whenever possible.
1: I totally agree. All right, Catherine, tell us what you read about. Okay. So today I'm going to highlight a couple of articles
0: on nail psoriasis. The first is entitled the untold burden of isolated nail psoriasis. Delayed Diagnosis and Significant Risk of Psoriatic Arthritis in a Retrospective Study at an Academic Center by Michelle Chang, Deborah Lee, Amar Desai, and Dr. Sherry Lipner. He published ahead of print on January 5th, 2023 in the Journal of American Academy of Dermatology. So as a background, an estimated 5 to 10% of psoriasis patients have nail changes with no or limited skin involvement. The authors performed a retrospective chart review and identified 87 patients with isolated nail psoriasis at their institution. They found an average delay of nearly three years to diagnosis. Approximately 10% had psoriatic arthritis, and in most cases, psoriatic arthritis was present concurrently or preceded nail disease. The presence of psoriatic arthritis was associated with increased severity of nail disease, The most common presentation was onycholysis and nail plate pitting. Histologic features included perikeratosis and neutrophilic inflammation. This was just a brief research letter, and in summary, it highlights that patients with isolated nail psoriasis experience delays in diagnosis, and recognition of their clinical signs is critical, as severe nail disease is associated with the presence of psoriatic arthritis. And that's just a segue to um, the next article, which will discuss a successful treatment for nail psoriasis. It is titled "Sustained Resolution of Nail Psoriasis Through Five Years with Izakizumab, A Post-Hoc Analysis from UNCOVER-3" by Doctors Eggeberg et al. He published ahead of print in Acta Dermato Venereologica in September 2022. So we know snail psoriasis can be debilitating and predict the development of psoriatic arthritis. And izakizumab, or TALTS, an anti-IL-17 monoclonal antibody, is approved for patients with psoriatic arthritis and patients ages greater than 6 with psoriasis. It has demonstrated rapid and sustained improvement in plaque psoriasis. And a post hoc analysis of the UNCOVER-3 trial, a phase three multi-center double-blind placebo and active comparator trial with izakizumab, described baseline characteristics and treatment response of nail psoriasis. Nail severity was assessed at baseline using the NAPSI score, so fingernails were divided into quadrants and scored on the presence of nail matrix disease, such as pitting, leukonychia, or red spots, and nail bed disease, such as onycholysis, splinter hemorrhages, subungual hyperkeratosis, and oil drop dyschromia. Patients with nail psoriasis and moderate to severe psoriasis were started on izakizumab and followed for five years. Approximately 60% of patients had nail psoriasis at baseline, and of these, 60% had NAPC greater than 16 and greater than four fingernails involved, which was defined as significant baseline nail psoriasis. Patients with nail psoriasis were more likely to be male, endorse alcohol or tobacco use, have more severe psoriasis, more frequent involvement of palms and soles, and more likely to have psoriatic arthritis compared to patients without nail psoriasis. Complete clearance of the nail psoriasis was seen in 67% of patients and uh, about 60% of patients with severe baseline nail psoriasis by week 60. And this plateaued through five years of follow up. A greater than 80% improvement was seen on average by week 60. Improvements in nail matrix scores were slower and less pronounced at most time points compared to nail bed scores likely related to time required for outgrowth of the nail plate. And in general, izakizumab's efficacy has previously been reported in nail psoriasis. It has demonstrated superior response rates compared to both gusulcumab and ustakinumab. So we know that izakizumab or TALTS is an effective treatment, and it may be superior to other biologics given that nail psoriasis often precedes psoriatic arthritis and the two are strongly associated, we may consider early initiation of biologics in patients with nail psoriasis and limited skin disease to potentially lower the risk of developing psoriatic arthritis or preventing progression of their joint disease. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I also wonder about early initiation for treatment of nail psoriasis and how that might affect um, these patients' cardiovascular risk over time, similar to how we think about like severe skin psoriasis, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. All right, Catherine, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Clippings. I want to thank our listeners for their attention. To all our listeners, please share this podcast with your colleagues and trainees. Let us know how we're doing and which articles you'd like us to review on the show by contacting Kristen.cnd at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and Twitter at Nail Disorders.